0: In my last church, we had a a baptistry right in that wall right there. So you had to go back. There was a hall back in the back, and uh, there were different ways that you could get to the baptistry. And uh, there was some glass right here on this wall so that you could see it. And uh, the church was uh, the church was probably the building was about twenty twenty five years old, and uh, the the pump and the heater. Kept doing strange things. We just never knew if the heater was going to work or not. And so uh, there were times that the heater worked really well. I mean, I'm talking about a a, a spa baptism. There were other times that, let's just say, not not so well. In fact, whenever it would get so hot, we would have to go down to the kitchen and get big tubs of ice and put in it. But. there was one time that it, the heater just wasn't working, uh, and we knew that we had, to, we had to have some type of heat in it, because we would just freeze to death in it. And uh, so this was a farming community, and farmers, th- they just know things, right? I mean, they know how to fix things, or if there's a problem, there's a workaround, right? So one old farmer decided that uh, we were going to have heat in that baptistry, so he went and got his stock tank heater and stuck. It down. why not? It worked. It was a very shocking experience, though, all I have to tell you. It warmed that water up just in time. I love baptisms. Thank you for celebrating, and we celebrate with these three. And I just ask that you would pray for them specifically this week. Uh, their families are going to ask questions, and their community members, and they, they might see it on social media. And it is just an opportunity for them to give their testimony again. It's a great day for them. I invite you to turn to Nehemiah uh, chapter 2. Nehemiah and many of the Israelites at the time that that the story was written, they were in exile in a foreign country, Babylon. Uh, Their Babylonian enemy had come into their country, into Israel, and had basically enslaved them. And had marched hundreds of thousands of Israelites out of their home country towards the east, a couple hundred miles to the east in what we would call the Iraq area. They had been in exile by now about 70 years. So while the prophet Jeremiah remained in Israel, he remained there as their prophet pastor, Nehemiah, was in exile with the rest of the Israelites. Basically two tribes stayed in Israel, 10 tribes were forcibly removed to Babylon and they were enslaved for almost 70 years. So Nehemiah experienced the hatred of all things holy. He lived through it. He counseled his Israelite brothers and sisters as they wept for the loss of their families back in Israel, the loss of their their way of life in Israel, their freedom to worship the one true God. He wept before God. He begged for God to lead them out of this time of enslavement and exile. So God led him through a process to finally be able to communicate To those in Israel find out what had gone on and then he began to pray and fast and God gave him a vision to cast to Israel a vision that would radically change the life and history of Israel. So in chapter 1 of Nehemiah he begins to ask questions about what was the current realities of his countrymen. Uh, Israel had been overrun by Babylon. The buildings had been destroyed. The temple, their their prized building where they worshipped and met God had been totally destroyed. Leaders had been exiled. It had become a wasteland. Israel, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem was totally destroyed. The walls were torn down. There were holes in the walls, the, the gates had been burned, and if you lived during this time period, if you did not have a wall around your city, the enemy could easily overrun you. If you lived in a village outside of the city and you knew enemy, what, enemies were coming, you would run to the gated walled city of Jerusalem to be protected. So this is what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. He's talking about those in Jerusalem. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So he began to mourn. He began to fast and pray when he heard this. His friends had made a trip to Israel, came back and they were telling him, how destitute his brothers and, and, and neighbors were, And he says in verse five, "O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey His commands, let your ear be attentive, and your eyes be open to hear." And so he begins a time of praising the Lord. And he confesses the sins of Israel and he reminds God of the promises that God had made to them. And by petition, he lays out his, his requests to God. That's in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, he begins to make preparation. He has a relationship with the king, King Artaxerxes. Now, I always thought naming a child Artaxerxes would be an amazing gift. Darla never accepted my suggestion. So we named our sons Jordan and Andrew. It could have been our Taxerxes. I'm just saying. But our Taxerxes had a relationship with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the the cup bearer. He was the one who was trusted. He was the one who would sip the wine before the king. If Nehemiah died, then the king would live, right? So he was in a trusted position. And he begins to beg the king, the enemy king, if he could then if he could be released back to make a trip so that he could inspect the walls of his home city, Jerusalem. Artaxerxes not only gave him permission to go look, but he said, "I will give you supplies to go and fix." Nehemiah said, well I'm going to need lumber for the walls. I'm going to need lumber for the gates. I'm going to need lumber to build a house for myself. And I'm going to need safety as I travel through enemy lands. Artaxerxes gives him everything that he needs. So he travels to Jerusalem and he begins to make inspections. He begins to ask questions. He reviews the numbers. He, he talks to all of those that were living there. He gets all of the details about the brokenness, the pain, the suffering, which walls were up, which walls were down, where there was a hole, what gates were burned down. And after examining the city, Nehemiah knew that a time had finally come for the people of Jerusalem to know the purpose of his trip. And it was at that point that he began to cast a vision to those who were living in Jerusalem. I'm sure that he had rehearsed the vision speech many times in his head. He had no clue how they would respond. After all, he was a newcomer. He hadn't lived there all of his life like they had. Would they run him out of town? Would they laugh at him? Or worse, would they just ignore him and live life as they always had? But the man of God... Was on a mission. He could not be silent forever. And so we find in the second chapter of Nehemiah, 17 through 18, Nehemiah begins to cast a vision that changed the life and history of Israel for many decades, yea, verily, centuries to come. Hear what he said. He said, Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start building so they began this good work. This is the word of the Lord. October 24th, 2021, just over a year ago was a significant day for me. Do you remember what day that was? Your birthday? It was the day before my birthday. So, but actually, it was the day that, that I was installed as your pastor. And what a privilege that was to stand here with our district superintendent, Eddie Estep, and your board, and we all begin to talk to each other about what this all meant. And I was honored because I, at that time and even before that time, as you'll know, I was your interim pastor for about six months before that, I could not or I would not be, cri- be quick, just to throw out some vision that wasn't thought through, wasn't prayed about. I didn't want to give you something immature or inappropriate. I was committed to slowly asking questions and listening and praying and beginning to investigate the current reality. I've put in many hours wrestling with where God is leading our congregation where God is wanting us to go. And today I'm very pleased to be able to present to you a vision that I believe God has given me. And as I've talked to the board, they've recognized that it is our, the vision of where we are going. A vision statement answers the question, where are you going? The core values that we have been talking about is, answers the question, what do you believe in? What's important to you? But a vision statement talks about where are you going. This morning after the service I'm, I'm really happy that I'm going to give you what I call the directional document. In it is not only our mission statement which says through biblical faithfulness we desire to experience Jesus. Make disciples and engage our world. But inside are the core values that we've been talking about. And then... No, actually on the outside it's the core values and on the inside is the vision statement that I'm going to be announcing to you this morning. And so I'm not, I'm not giving it to you now because you know what you'll all be doing while I'm preaching? <laughs> right? Or maybe making airplanes, I don't know. But at the end of the service you'll receive as many as you want. I encourage you, please put it in your Bible. Put it on your refrigerator bring it to church. We, it, it's everything that we do and say as a church is founded not only in Scripture, but on our vision statement and our core values. There were four components to Nehemiah's vision. The first was, Nehemiah identified the obvious problem. The The problem facing the people of Jerusalem was pretty apparent. The walls were broken down. Uh, Nehemiah began began his speech by verbalizing the obvious. He says in seventeen, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned with fire. Why was it necessary for Nehemiah to state the obvious? They had lived by these walls. They knew where all the holes were. In fact, they used the holes to get outside so that they could go hunting. Perhaps they had lived all of their life right beside those burned gates. And it didn't resonate with them because it was familiar to them. They had lived there all of their life. I don't know if you remember, I think it's actually a current uh, advertisement. Uh, Febreze has this commercial. It's a funny commercial about going nose blind. You remember that nose? Do you know what it means to be Nose blind. One of the commercials is about a husband who has gone nose blind. He, he has forgotten what things smell like. So the smell of his huge British bulldog on the couch and the smell of the, his diet of Big Macs constantly. He has gone totally nose blind and he doesn't smell the dog and he doesn't smell the Big Macs, but I can, he, can, he knows that his wife smells it all of the time. And of course his answer is a bottle of Febreze, right? Have you ever walked into somebody's home, maybe grandma's house or your neighbor's house, and a smell hits you and you don't know what it is. It could be a dog, it could be the litter box, it could be anything. And they have lived in that house all of their life and so they don't smell the dog. They don't. They don't smell what you're smelling, but it hits you immediately. They have gone nose blind. Can I tell you, the people in Israel had gone blind. They had lived in this situation all of their lives. And like I said, they had, they had been in exile for 70 years. It had been 70 years since the enemy had come in and burned their gates and tore holes into their walls, and their life had radically changed. And some of these were 30 and 40-year-olds. It had happened way before they were born. Nehemiah's words, they were a wake-up call to the community. Open your eyes, he said. Things are bad. We're in trouble. We're not protected. There are no gates. Get it through your head. No security! And in that moment, they were able to recognize the situation and they begin to wake up to finally hear the wise words of Nehemiah. Now, all of us have this thing called a cell phone, and on almost every phone is this app called a GPS. There are two pieces of information a GPS needs to know. Where you're going and where, what's the last piece? Where you are right now. Where you're going and where you are right now. A lot of people, organizations forget to deal with where we are right now. They, they want to go there, but they really haven't spent a lot of time talking about where we are right now. So before we know how to get where we want to go as a church, there are some vital pieces of information that we need to identify about where we are right now. Like what are, what's the spiritual health and physical health of our community right here beside us? Who lives in those apartments right there? I've wondered. We have a few great neighbors right here in our sanctuary that live right there, but there are many other families. Who are they? Where do they come from? Who lives right here on the street? We used to own some houses there. Who lives there? Who's in this neighborhood right here, and what are some of the challenges? How can we pray for them? It's understanding our context. Who are our city leaders? What are their names? Not what's their title, but how can we pray for them by name? How can we be a blessing to them? Have we asked them? What are the biggest challenges our families face right here? What are the biggest questions our community leaders and neighbors are asking and how can we answer that question? What are the low-hanging fruit in our neighborhood? What's the low-hanging spiritual fruit that we need to be focused on? These are all issues of reality. What's our current context? So Nehemiah states the obvious. Jerusalem lays in ruins, and the gates have been burned down. He said, guys, this is the reality. We are in trouble. That's where we are. That's what he was saying to those in Jerusalem. Then he begins to detail a clear solution. In 17, he says, come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The solution is often, often extremely obvious. All it took was a leader to state the obvious. Can I tell you there are very few things that I'm good at, but I'm really good at stating the obvious. I'm really good at stating the obvious. So he cast his vision. Nehemiah envisioned a Jerusalem that was healthy. He envisioned a Jerusalem that was secure. He envisioned a a, a a Jerusalem that had gates and walls that were strong and so the enemy couldn't come in. You see a vision is always a future solution to a current problem. A vision is a future solution to a current problem. The problem was that the city was out without defense. The vision was to immediately fix that problem. So. Can I just ask, why is it that people like the Israelites, businesses, government officials, even churches just like Fairlawn, why is a clear vision important? Often organizations skip that part. They answer these questions, what's really important to them, but they forget to answer the question where are we going? Well, let me tell you, a vision provides energy. It creates a cause. It fosters risk-taking. It legitimizes leadership and changes. It energizes, it, it, it focuses the community. It motivates giving. This is what a vision does. A vision is always extremely clear. One of my heroes of the faith, the professor by the name of Howard Hendricks, would always tell his seminary students, a mist in the pulpit is always a fog in the pew. A mist in the pulpit is always a fog in the pew. And so when I read to you our new vision statement in just a few minutes, you will see extremely clear exactly what our church will look like when we have accomplished that vision. The third thing is Nehemiah announces a reason to act. The fact that the wall around Jerusalem had been torn down did not necessarily mean it should be rebuilt. The people's contentment with the current state of affair proved it. They would kind of forgotten about it. They They had built their houses on top of rubble. The kids played on top of those walls. So pointing out the problem and the solution wasn't enough. The people of Jerusalem needed incentive. They needed motivation. So a reason to act is often a painful sting to the conscience. He said, come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be in disgrace. Now remember, this was Israel. Do you remember the Israelites? They were God's chosen people. God had led them out of Egypt. They had been slaves. He had opened the waters for them so that they could escape. He gave them Israel, the land of promise. These were God's covenant people. They had been commissioned to be God's light to the world. Their role was unique among all of the nation. They were covenant people, people of divine promise. God's holiness was to be mirrored off of God's people, the Israelites. And now, he says, you're living in disgrace. It was the opposite Of what God had called them to do and be and live. It was like the king who had no clothes on. You remember that story? The king who had no clothes on, they had been blissfully ignorant of their nakedness. They had been blissfully ignorant of the reality that they lived in. The temple had been destroyed, the ark of the covenant was missing sacrifices had ceased. The glory of God in the temple was gone. Can I tell you that we too have reason to act. We live in a community where drugs are way too easy to mask the pain of hurt. We live in A community where divorce is the easiest way to bring peace to the home. Where taking the life of a baby is the easiest way to handle birth control. But even in our church we have reasons to act. Often it's too easy for us to focus on us instead of them. Are we constantly expecting God To use our personal relationships to draw people to Jesus? Are we actually expecting that? When we leave our houses, are we expecting God to give us a divine appointment that day? Are you praying for that opportunity? Are we living with our hands wide open and realizing that everything that we have is owned by God? Our money, our houses, our job, our talents, our vehicles, everything is owned by God. And we are just given the privilege of managing them on his behalf. Are we praying and fasting and planning on God to bring revival? Are we praying as if we truly expect God to answer every one of our prayer our reason to act it's right here is because we are committed to biblical faithfulness we're committed to dependent prayer and authentic worship and we want everyone to see that we are committed to creative evangelism and christ-like discipleship and loving relationships And as author and pastor Andy Stanley said, the reason behind what could be moves us to believe that it should be. I believe it's now time for me to read to you where we are going as a church. It's the big announcement that we talked about on social media. I just need to say that uh, in my last church when I said I have a big announcement quickly my children's pastor came to me. And she said, Pastor Brent, our last pastor, when he announced he had a a big announcement at age 50, they announced they were having a baby. Are you guys pregnant? No. We are not pregnant. So I tell you, at age 56, we are not pregnant. But it is a big announcement. It's our vision statement. Can I tell you Vision is not about what is. Vision is not about what is. It is about what could be if anointed by God and accomplished by faith. Now what I'm about to read to you, I want you to keep a couple questions in your mind. If our church fulfills that vision... Is that where I want my children and my grandchildren to grow up? Keep that in your mind. At Fairlawn Church of the Nazarene, we see a church relentlessly pursuing God's presence. We envision a church whose heartfelt praise and worship is authentic and life-changing. Worship that, is in, that invites the praises of people throughout our community, exalting God with powerful songs of adoration, prayers of faith, and a clear message of hope. Yes, the church we see is so dependent on the Holy Spirit that nothing will stop it nor stand against it. It's a church whose leaders are unified to purposely seek his wisdom and anointing. We see a church that is fervently praying. We see a people passionately committed to Christ in prayerful dependency, counting the cost, and ready to pay any price to see revival, reconciliation, and restoration sweep our community and our world. The church we see is on its face before God, interceding, calling, training, and sending out powerful people of prayer. We see a church where lives are changing. We see a message clearly proclaimed of Christ's death and resurrection to those in our community. Many will accept him as Savior and serve him as their Lord. We see a church where people are set free, changed, challenged, delivered, and forever redeemed by encountering a warm relationship with Jesus. We see a church where families are Christ centered. We envision a church where hurting families can feel they are welcomed, loved, and important. A place where marriages grow, parents are nurtured, children and youth are discipled, and grandparents recognize their spiritual significance. The church we see will be known as the place where families find the resources, time, and training they need to love each other as Christ loved the church. We see a church where everyone is being equipped. We envision a church where new as well as established believers are regularly trained and expected to become fully functioning disciples of Christ. We envision an active group of believers who live out their faith boldly because of our relevant teaching and preaching of God's inspired word. The church we see is determined that believers will find the means for learning how to study and apply the word, share their faith, and give their best To the Lord. We see a church full of compassion. We envision our people modeling biblical community, a safe place where we accept, love, encourage, forgive, and serve one another. The church we see will demonstrate to our community that our compassion reaches beyond class and cultural barriers. A church with a genuine expression of love. Focusing on meeting the spiritual and physical needs both within and outside our church. This is our vision. It is not only what could be, but what must be by faith. What do you think, church? Is that where you want your kids and grandkids to grow up? I've dreamed of my kids and grandkids and leading a church just like that. And that's where I'm going. That's where your board is going. That's where your ministry staff, administrative staff, that is where we as a congregation are headed. It's not where we are. It's where we're going though. The expectation of God's response In Nehemiah we have to look at. Nehemiah wanted to make sure they recognized God's place in the vision. And so he began to describe to them in verse 18. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said. He began to detail to them what God had told him, what he then did, And what the king said and the resources the king brought to the table to ensure that the vision would be fulfilled. Listen, God prepared Nehemiah ahead of time for the vision to be accomplished. And now it's time for us. God's gracious hand has already prepared us to fulfill this vision. I am so committed to this understanding of God's gifts and talents. God creates church communities like this all over the world. Thousands and millions of groups. Some are small, some are large, some meet under palm trees, some in barns, some in beautiful sanctuaries like this. And I am confident that God places the right people in every church community to fulfill the vision that God will give to each church. But the fact is there are many people in each church that aren't fulfilling what God calls them to do. He gifts them He gives them resources. He gives them experiences. He gives them everything that they need, every person that they need to fulfill the vision. The question is, will all of us fulfill the vision by using the gifts and talents and time and treasure that he's given this church? That's the big question. He gives us the right people. He gives us the right resources. He gives us the right corporate passion. And I believe that I can also say that the gracious hand of God has been on me and your board as we've worked through this vision. And I'm confident that this vision is what God wants us to fulfill as a church. He has told us That vision is not about what is the current reality, but what it could be if it was anointed by God and if it were accomplished by faith. So let me tell you, as a pastor, as your pastor, we are going to be a church that relentlessly pursues God's presence. We are going to be a church that is fervently praying. And we are going to be a church where lives are constantly changing. And we are committed to becoming a church where families are Christ-centered. A church where everyone is being equipped. And we are going to be a church full of compassion. This is our vision. It is not only what could be but what must be by faith would you please stand when you're dismissed we do have a directional document to give to to you please take as many as you need Because this is something that all decisions that we make will be based on. I have the board read portions of this every single board meeting. It's not something that is just filed and forgotten. We bring this out whenever we have questions about investments or how much money should we put towards this ministry or is this a ministry that we want to be a part of. When it's budget time, as we create the budget, I ask all ministry leaders to take this document and every line item I ask that they go to this document and tell us which one of these core values or vision statements they're fulfilling by this ministry. It's important to us. In verse 18 they replied let us start building So they began this good work. It's almost an understatement, isn't it? They began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then they began to rebuild the temple. Their response was, let's immediately make this happen. My life, passion, and prayer has always been, Lord... I am not interested in merely living and being just an ineffective Christian. I've always prayed, Lord, I want to do something great and life-changing as a leader of your church. Not because I want some sort of notch in my belt, but because I believe the kingdom of God and God himself is worthy of my absolute best. And can I tell you, I want to do that and live that life here. Right here at my church, Fairlawn Church of the Nazarene. I'm not interested in merely doing church, friends. If you just want to do church, this isn't a great place for you. Here, We are going to live out the kingdom of God. We're going to live out prayer, how it radically changes us, how we expect every single person to be involved in using the time, talents, and treasures God has given you. Don't be a seat warmer. This isn't a great place to be a seat warmer. We need men and women who are willing to say, God's kingdom here on earth is going to start right here at our church. It's going to start in my community, in my neighborhood. It's going to start by the way that I expect God to use me in divine appointments. And it absolutely requires all of us. It will be hard work. It will be endless prayer. It will be generous giving. It will be passion. And I'd just like to ask the question, are you willing to join me in that type of vision? Because that's where I'm going. And I'd love for you to be with me. As we sing this song of response, I'd like to do something a little bit different. I'd like to invite all of the church to come and just stand here as we sing this song. Would you just begin to come towards the front? We're gonna join in singing this song of I believe. And as you come and sing, I would just ask that you just dedicate yourself to the ministry that God has placed on your life. Pray for the life of this church. Pray for your ministerial staff, your administrative staff, as we do our absolute best to glorify God and fulfill the vision that he's placed on us. Please come as we sing. Church, if I could ask uh, somebody to take Darla to the back because I want to make sure that we are all greeting you. Could I just pray for us before we go? This is a moment that I want us to look back on. In three years, in five years, in 15 years, I want us to look back at this date, November 13th. 2022 because I think today starts a journey that will become a significant part of the story of Fairlawn. Father, we want you to know that we are absolutely dedicated to you and your church. We want to accomplish great things for you, for your glory, for your honor, that you will be lifted high in our community. Father, we refuse just to be a church on the, communi- on the corner that is focused on ourselves. We don't want that. Father, there are people that are already a part of us, part of our families, our neighborhoods, where we work and go to school, that desperately need to hear you They need to see how you have radically changed us. And Father, we ask that you would use us for your glory and for your honor. Build your church in Topeka. Build your church in our homes and where we go to school and where we work that you might be honored. Father, we believe that you've given us a vision of where we are to go And as we read it, our hearts leapt because we know that is the type of church that we've all always wanted to go to and be a part of. So Lord, we stand in faith knowing that you're calling us to do something bigger, better, and finer than we could ever imagine. And we want to give you the glory and trust you for this. In Christ's name. Amen. Would you receive this benediction? It's found in Habakkuk. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. And it will not fail, though it tarries. Wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace, for he's already gone before you. You are dismissed, my friends.